Jude chapter 1. Yes, only one chapter, book of Jude. And I'll be considering verse 3 and 4. And for those that have joined online, a warm greetings to you all. After this, we'll be gathering to pray to bring our week of fasting to an end. Beloved, Jude, verse 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation on godly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, as the scripture, the book of John were being read in our hearing, this just by the way, do you notice the saturation of the scripture in those passages of the Old Testament scriptures? That even the unbelief of the people Apostle John has to mine out from the scripture to explain why the unbelief were there. He could have just said they are village people. Didn't allow them to believe. He said they could not believe. This is to confirm what Isaiah said. And I'm tying this to what we'll be looking at. This is the word of God. Outside of it is mere speculation. Everything that we do must be by the agency of the word of God. Tonight the subject of our consideration is contending for the faith. And you see that in verse 3. I'm appealing to you to, cut, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And this sounds like a Christian jihadism that this call to all saints, because Jude is writing to all believers, to contend, to contend means to fight, to strenuously fight for something. Not just fight, but fighting that requires some level of exertion and a display of force and energy. And sometimes we used to caricature Islam or Muslims for fighting for Muhammad. And one of the things we do say is that, come on, if your God is powerful, why do you need to fight for him? Let him come and fight for himself. How many of you have heard that before? 
But Jude is asking us to do the very same thing that we are accusing those guys of that we should fight for the faith. I want to make a slight distinction between the faith. It's not saying fight for God. God can defend himself. Even the faith can defend itself. What he's talking about is not just like, it's not a jihad kind of thing that you carry a sword and say, oh, you are blaspheming Jesus. I chop off your head. Of course, under the old, under the old covenant, blasphemy is a capital punishment. Of course, it is a it is enshrined in the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, that you should not take, you should not, you should not blaspheme, you should not take the name of your God in vain. Blasphemy is a serious thing, even though, because we live under democracy and secular government, there's no way we can, the church can take the sword. The power of the sword is now with the king. And I don't think we can encourage the Christian kings to even use the sword to defend their faith. The faith has been defended wrongly. In the days of the Crusades, uh, the, the Christian state wanted to go to Jerusalem to kill the Jews to defend the faith. Like they want to kill those who kill Jesus. It is their responsibility to, to defend the, the faith. Uh, and if you look the Queen of England, or sorry, the King of England, uh, if you are familiar with the Anglican system, one of the title, one of the subtitles of the King of England is what? Is what? Defender of the faith. And this faith has been defended before by the sword. And in some climes, it is still being defended by the sword, by the power of the state. Of course, post-Reformation, the church has come to a clearer understanding of the distinction between the state and the church. And the church will not bear arms in defense of the faith. So next week, or any time I return here in the book of Jude, I'm doing a series in the book of Jude as a corollary to the, my series, Book of Acts. When I come back next time, I will teach on how this command ought to be carried out. But tonight, I want to point to about three things why the faith need be uh, defended, why we need to fight for the faith, to contend for the faith. So I'll talk about the why. Next time is how. Okay. And look, put your eyes on the scripture. The first thing we learn in verse 3 is that the first thing I want to bring to our notice as to why do we need to defend the faith, we need to defend the faith, is that the faith, and by the faith, we, means, we mean what? The doctrine, it refers to the system, the Christian system of belief. The, the Christian belief system and lifestyle is called the faith. The entire body of divinity is called the faith. The Christian, the Christian body of belief is called the faith. The doctrines, the doctrines of our God 
as given in the Holy Scriptures is called the faith. What Christians believe that affects their lifestyle is called the faith. It's not the faith as you define Hebrews. Faith is a substance. That's not. We're talking about the faith as a body of Christian belief system. Are we clear now? Why do we defend the faith? The faith is of high premium. The faith is of high value. Jude wrote, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about the common salvation, common salvation, the faith is the faith that explains the gospel, the gospel of our God to us. Jude referred to it as a common faith, a common faith. That it is, it is something that belongs equally to us as it belongs equally to the apostles and to Christ and to the Old Testament saints. It's a common life that we share. Is, there's, a, there's an unbroken chain of the faith that runs from Genesis down to Revelation. And that it is so precious that as it belongs to us commonly, it requires the death of the Son of God to ratify it. The ratification of this common salvation comes by the shedding of the blood of the Son of God. You know, we're singing you matters of our God. It rings in your brain that for the sake of this faith, many lay down their life. So, even though this faith is a common faith that we share, it is not common. It's not, it is not, it is not rags. It is of high value. Christian esteem the faith over and above their very life. That the faith is so precious to Christians through all history that for them to deny the faith requires that they would rather lose their life and estate. And you can see this in a mighty fortress is our God. Martin Luther said, the, the, our life, our wives, and I mentioned the right time, wives, see, they may take. And many people lost their estate and wives and children for the faith. It belongs to all of us. It is the faith of Jesus. It is the faith of Apostle Paul, Peter, James, Bartholomew. It is our common faith. It is of high value. We will not allow irresponsible people to throw it before the swine. Of course, the Bible says you should not throw pearls before swine. It is not responsible for us to watch 
the doctrine of our God being thrown before swine. We adorn it with our very life. And the gospel through all the century bear the insignia of the blood of martyrs. It is valuable. It is of a value that transcends all precious stones. The entire CBN is of no weight value to the salvation that have saved you. What Jude refers to the common salvation. And it has been preserved for thousands of years. We will not let it roll in the dust. The doctrine of our God. Why do we defend the faith? Its value. At least at our own level. At the level of God. <laughs> God is in charge. But the means by which God protects the gospel is the church. It is you and I. It's the saints. Because God watches over his word and delivered it to the saints. He delivered it to the saints. The saints, the saints, the saints. And the saints value this delivery above. They value it, they cherish it above any other consideration. Secondly, why do we contend for the faith? Consider with me the custodian nature of the faith. The custodian nature of the faith. Beloved, although I was eager, verse 3 of Jude, to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And the idea of delivery there, paradidomi, that is the Greek word, is, you know, when Christ was delivered to be crucified, when you, the, like, you have a package like a DHL. If a DHL person have your package at the gate, what does he do? He delivers it. He won't even take the wrap of it. He delivers everything wholesale to you, the owner. And this deposition, another example that clear a bit of our, our understand, help our understand is the, you know, the color of our prison now, custodian uh, center. Yes, yeah. So all the correctional centers are, are custodian centers, you understand? So when you apprehend uh, a criminal and the courts, either by way of remand or by the way of serving jail sentence, send them to correctional facility. The warders there are custodians of those prisoners. So from the gates, they are handed over to the facility, into the facility. And guess what the warders are doing in the prison? Guess what they do? They check their files, isn't it? Is that what the warders do? They look at their files, they take their statement to adjust everything. Eh? What does warders do in the prison? They adjust their statement or they defend them? Is that what they do? What is the job of a warder? They keep them. 
And anytime the court wants them, they deliver them back to the courts. And then they bring them back and keep. Their job is, is custodian. So this faith is a deposition that was done once and for all, handed over to the saints and by implication, the church. It is not an invention that, that, that continues to evolve over time. There is no evolution when it comes to the primacy of the gospel or the content of the gospel, the validity of the gospel. There is no evolution. It is once for all delivered to the church. Once for all delivered to the church. It is a deposit. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 20. Paul writing to Timothy. Oh Timothy. God the deposit of the faith that was entrusted to your hand. The Jewish nations Romans 3 verse 1 to 2 tells us that there were, there were guidance of the truth, of the oracle of God. Because the gospel is not just like, it's not just an idea that recently happens in the New Testament. 1689 tells us that the gospel were first preached when and where? In the garden, Genesis 3. The gospel were first preached. And through the succession of epochs and dispensation, that spark of light grows to the full light of day in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It, it cannot be altered. Jesus saves, it cannot be altered. It cannot and should not be altered. So we are defending the faith because of his unalterable nature. It is given to the church by way of custodian, the church is a, is a pillar and the ground of truth. We, we are holding this truth. We are guiding of this truth. We do not invent it. The church, the church, the church, the church did not give birth to the scripture. The scripture gave birth to the church. We are just mere custodian. So we, when we are defending the faith, against the malice of Satan, we are just saying, <laughs> oh, God gave us this thing, and we are keeping it. And we are not giving it to you to do what you think you can with it. We will not allow the church to be raped by criminals, by charlatans. We will not allow the church, the scripture, the doctrines of our God that adorns our Christian lifestyle cannot be allowed to be messed up by cowboys in the name of ministry. Why do we defend the faith? 
is value, is custodian nature. It is given to the saints, the church, for keep, to treasure it. It was handed over to us. Thirdly, why do we defend the faith? The, I'm using this word very carefully, but I want to use it anyway. The vulnerability of the faith. Look at the scripture. Verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the book of Jude is actually a warning against false prophets. And I think Eliezer was in 1 John chapter 4 recently and he talks about the Christian duty of discernment. And he talks about that it talks about the fact that our faith demands that, that demands that we show discernment as it relates to false prophets, the danger they pose to the church. The, this faith is prone to all attacks and fakery. It's like the very first day that the church was born, one million pseudo churches were born prone to attack, and particularly attack from within the cancer that eats the fabrics of the church from within. And Jude tells us that there are some persons. No, they didn't name them. He didn't call Aram or anybody. He said some persons. Because there's no need to call a name. Because all through each generation have their own first teachers. And look at the way he spoke of them. He said these people, these people, they are creepers. They creeps in into the church. They are in membership. They even have preaching authority. He said, for certain people have kept it unnoticed. See, even if the deacons and the pastors stand by this gate with the scripture, they will enter. Somehow these guys will find their way in. There is Martin Luther referred to Erasmus as an ill, E E L. How many of you know this worm called ill? Yeah? I don't know. It's not something you see on the street. You see, Erasmus is an ill. It's the only class can, can hold him. So you hold Erasmus here, he's out of your hand. You think you have him here, he's out. You know, the elders will think they have done all the checks. Even the church superintended by the apostles. Uh, this guy is there. Of course, it was Philip. It was Philip. It was Philip who could disappear and appear and baptize the eunuch. 
that have Simon in his, he was the one that baptized Simon and continued with him in ministry until Peter came. Only to find out that Simon was, Simon was never saved. How come? They will creep in on notice. Let me show you the character of these guys. Go to Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verse 4. Turn your Bible in. Turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter 2. Am I sure? About that passage. 2. Yes. Yet, 2 verse 4 Galatians. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in Look at the word. Who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. There's this element of slippery, slippery, to bring us into slavery. We contend because these guys are they come in on notice to harm the flock of Christ. The flock of Christ it's not immune to the harm that the wolves can bring among God's people. They are vulnerable. And the Old Testament equivalent of this idea is in Ezra. Turn to Ezra if you can. Ezra. Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of fathers' houses and said to them, these are the enemies of these people. What are they telling them? Let us build with you. For we worship your God as you do. And we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. We, we, we are the same guy. We are the same. Just a minor, you know what you guys call minor, and what Eliezer and his friend are saying, primary, secondary, tertiary, things down. Of course, it's helpful. But guess what? When it comes to this issue, even what you call secondary issues, what you call tertiary issue, can seep in into the primary issue and poison it. We must be clear. They will sleep in. They will be. They are nice people. False prophets are nice. Have you have you seen one of them before? They are nice people. They are smooth talker. They have good command of English. If I be a man of, they speak with audacity. They seems to have the good intention of the church and the flocks. 
Oh, goodness me. No false prophet. If anybody comes here now and says, Hello, guys, I'm a false prophet. And my intention in this church is by the next 10 years, all of you are led astray. How many of you hear that? They will come in. We are the new apostles. We are the, <laughs> we, we, we are the reformed apostolic movement. You know, they use words like we are Calvinists, but we are four-point Calvinists. Or we are two points. Or we are three points. Or they will use words, see guys, you know, doctrines divides. Jews and Christians together. Come on, let us go to ecumenical center and worship our God. Sele and Baptist together. They, they will creep in. You know, when I was finishing my internship, they I met Pastor Kasango and he told me, you know, that's the image he remains in my mind. He said, as a pastor, he said, he said, you have to stand by the door like this. He said, you must guard the flock against the wolf. Pastors are not gentlemen. Goodness. God save the church if you have a pastor who is a yes man, who has no balls. Because those who will destroy the church will even help the church to build a cathedral. Satan has no issue with building a bigger house for God. There will be the bigger donor and they will help the widows and then a pastor shared with me a few years ago when he broke out of his former church to start his own ministry. Unfortunately for him, majority of the backsliders in the church followed him. Anytime they want to transfer this pastor, the drunkard, they say, you know, go, don't touch our pastor. You know, yes, don't touch our pastor. How, how come that it is the fornicators in the church that are fighting for the pastor to be retained? So when he finally left, they all moved with him. I know why they are moving with him. They like him. He's a salesman. He sells sweets and candies. He will tell them adultery is good. That particular pastor, he almost preached me into hellfire. He said, if our hearts, that's the scripture he used, that's what I'm talking of, 1998. He said, if our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. And he tells you, don't listen. Like if you've done something wrong and your heart is just, tell your heart, God is bigger than you. And after some years, one day, one of the chief adulterers in his church drove and said, Pastor, I heard you are about to choose elders of the church. And he said, we are stakeholders. I hope my name will be in. And the pastor said, Well, I will pray about it. 
at the person and say, I want to see Mr. Trouble. How, what do I do with this man now? So it's your monkey. Tie him. Tie him. Because they will bully their way into leadership. They will bully their way into the pulpit. They will poison you. They are creepers. They creeps in. They are master crafts. They, 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 are, they are crafty. Secondly, why we should be aware of these guys is that they are not just creeping. Their condition, their, their ministry to fight the church was a predetermined condition ordained by God. And the doctrine of reprobation, I encourage to go and study it. They are not just in the church as random people. That has been their lot. There has been Judas right from the beginning. At least they are bad people. They help the church to really stand on their... They help the church to pray. They shake the church and the church kind of... So you don't play with them. Oh, they are... And you say they are ungodly men. Uh, the word ungodly there is it refers to they are not they are they don't worship God. That is the word. They are ungodly people. They are they are without worship. Guys. And I don't have time to unpack the idea of those who are without worship. You know, when we talk of worship, it's not like, I worship you, I worship you, Lord. I wo-. No, that's not the issue. These guys, the best you can get from them, they are good when they are here, isn't it? Somebody lift up your two hands and give God a wiper. That's what they are good at. But they are not worshippers. They are not worshiping God in truth and in spirit. They don't have a private life with God. They are empty systems. They are deserts. In fact, they are Gobi deserts. They have no water. They don't worship God. They are at best pagans. They are pagans. And I don't want to bore you. There are a lot of native doctors in suits. Bishop. Who are native doctors properly. And native doctors know them. And they know that native doctors knows them. Some of those guys will be preaching. They charm in their pockets and they are turning it. As, as they are turning it, you are falling down there. It's a remote control. They are pagans. They don't worship God. They do not fear God. You know, I was sharing with a sister this afternoon some of the things, some of our experience. And she came to mention to me how happy she has been coming here. I'm talking about other senior colleagues who are in, in, a, in a church where they are being deceived. And, and I was, there's a past, there's a, a bishop, what is his name? His pastor. His name is Ibiya Pastor in Abuja. I mean, a guy stood on Sunday morning before the people and said, Church, this is your papa is divorcing your mama. 
And the church said, no. He said, okay, he said, don't worry, it has been done. I have bought, your mama means his wife. His wife is the mommy of uh, the church. Like mommy Gio. <laughs> you know, mommy Gio. And he said, I bought her a one million dollar house in the U.S. And mommy and the children are good. I've settled them in the U.S., but I've divorced we have, we have gone through divorce already. Assuming he stopped there, he now said the reason is this, that your mommy committed an adultery some years ago, and I covered her because I love her. And he said, in the process of time, I think it's, in, it's on YouTube. The day he made that question, somebody, somebody should call me and say, Pastor, Pastor, open, the, open your this thing. He said, in the it's about seven years ago, me too. I had an affair with a dear prophetess. And together we have a son. And my wife refused to cover me. And my wife has been using some pastors to blackmail me, and I've been spending a lot of money. I no one pay again. I did it. This is my church. God gave it to me. If you don't like it, take the exit door. And when he was done with this, he was confessing this thing and was walking up and down in the church. And he finished saying that, that uh, he is marrying the prophetess. He's from South Africa. They are now together now. He said, this was going to happen now. And then he somebody shout fire. And people shout fire. Fire! And how I wish the guy would have just, like, fire just consumed him there and then. Fire for words. This is not a worshiper of God. This is fleshy. I'm not judging him. This is carnality at best. I'm not saying I'm better than him or holier than thou. But God forbid. God forbid. And their action is that because they are not worshippers of God, they are perverting the grace of God into lasciviousness. Uh, ESV used the word sensuality. Debauchery. That is the, the original translation. Debauchery. How many of you have heard this idea of uh, grace? Grace churches around, it, around town. They call it, uh, I don't know how they call it now. Grace. Grace. Their headmaster is uh, Joseph. Uh, and they are saying, regardless of what you do, Jesus had paid for your past sin, for your current sin, and the one that you would do. Amen. Amen for what? So yes, he paid for your past sin, your current sin, and the one that you would do. So that you, be, you should be doing what? So that you should be committing it. Even sometimes, mothers can testify that sometimes they are frustrated. Even with toddlers, a baby just pull now. You clean them up. Only for you, before you sit down to eat, pull again. How happy are you that, eh? keep pulling? At one point, you started, you tell this, you never kill me, you never kill me. Even though they are three months, you never kill me, this baby. 
Because there are some children that actually play with their stooling. Yes, in, in psychology, in psychoanalysis, this is how they happen. They enjoy the bowel movement, so they will drop some and hold some. And as you want to go, they brought the, the, the children are just between a year, between zero to, to about um, a year and a half, they do a lot. They, they, they are deliberately, they, they enjoy the frustration in the face of their mom. And if you're not frustrated, if you're not frustrated enough, they will start crying for nothing. How God, how do you think, except those who don't know God, how can you live any longer? How can we live any longer? We that were dead to sin. How can we live any longer? Once we have these guys in the church, oh, better check them out. I will show you next time how to jihad these people. The kind of measures that the church and you individually see. I have seen in the West when the church, when the pastor becomes so stubborn and become overbearing, some members they carry him and they carry him on their head and throw him out. There are some pastors, they'll be so stubborn, all they'll do is they, they want to leave. They say, if you're not happy with me, leave. Because they believe that as you are going, more people also will, uh, will come in. See, church, church as, a, as an institution cannot die. Even if I'm preaching rubbish now, I can gather members. In fact, more self. Give them what they want, they will gather. We'll do comedy here, we we'll do comedy there. we we'll do concert there, we we'll do concert there. we we'll do all kinds of stupid things. People will gather. See, Pigs, pig get pigs, pigs get followers. Follow, fellow pigs will come. You read Animal Farm. When the pigs took over the farm, they check other people out, no? They check other people out. It is your Christian duty to carry that pastor on your head and throw him out. Not even spiritually, literally. They are not good for the church. When, when you are buying their tapes, you are abating and aiding their progress. Sometimes ago, I think it should be Justin Peters. I don't know. That guy that used to, talk, that used to do apologetics about this guy. So you should not even buy some of the songs. Of, is it Hillsong? Uh, Hillsong. At that time, people were just... But, Brian turned out to be exactly what the man was thinking. Yes. Because I was, Brian, that is the, the pastor of Hills, Hillsong, Australia, was having a concert in London, in East London, and I was there. I could not make sense of what is happening. Michael Jordan just came with Nike in the worship service. That Nike and the gospel. What is Nike? What is Jordan? What is gospel doing together? And then people are jumping. <laughs> like they, that is how they jump. If you watch them very well. <laughs> See their are trousers like this. Sometimes some, some keyboard is dressed like, 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 like Boko Haram. With short something. With, with, oh, come on, with cap, face cap. 
Somebody is worshiping God with cap. Don't, don't download their music. Even for entertainment, they are not good. They are not. Throw them out. I'm not saying she come and beat the pastor up, but it's a bad pastor is a bad pastor. It's not good for the church. He won't care for this flock. He won't care for you. So my friend, as we close tonight, it is your duty. It is your Christian duty. This is not just a duty meant for elders and deacons alone. Every single believer does have a duty to defend the faith. To make sure the faith is taught clear, clearly, audaciously, boldly, without error, without mixture, without embellishment, without ambiguity. It is your duty. I've mentioned here before, somewhere in old England, when the lady removed her shoe and threw at the pastor. He said, preach the word of God. Give us the word of God. And stop these stories. Preach! A pastor that cannot preach. Eating fats on the church. The only reason why the pastor is still preaching is that you allowed him. It is you that allowed him. You are afraid. Touch not my anointed. And do my prophet. You don't have accidents. Because they will tell you if you touch me by mistake, you die by correction. It's possible to speak against a false teacher and you die that same day. It's possible. You become an example. Say, you see, you see him, you see him. Confidence don't die. Oh. <laughs> ah. In this church now, see, see me, see me. As long as I stay in this church. Mm-mm. I don't believe because my money don't enter this. My money don't enter this. And now, now my investment be this. You go stay here. But see my this, my mouth. Mm-mm. It's wrong. It's wrong. We are custodian of the faith. You should defend it. Custodian of the faith. You should defend it. The flock of Christ is vulnerable. We should defend the faith. The gospel is precious. We should treasure it. And defend it. Some of you girls they have, uh, you know, I'm not sure about my wife. I will check. They have some small, small boxes where you keep your jewels, like gold, like everything. Where do you keep those jewels? Where do you keep all those things? Where do you keep them in the toilet or in the kitchen? Where do you keep those things? Bedroom. Not just bedroom. The inner, inner, the bedroom, bedroom. Even the house help. How many of you trust your house self with your jewels? The gospel is more than jewelish. Protect it. Defend it. Defend it. It is your duty as Christians. And may God deliver us from false teachers. From false prophets. Who perverse the grace of God. And may we live in the truth. May our lifestyle adorn the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no Christian who is living in sin. And making practice of it. Father, bless this congregation. And keep us safe from the evil one. Until you come. Help us, Lord. We are vulnerable. Without your help, we are vulnerable. 
against, with, with, with ourselves and the devil, we are, we are no match for him. He outnumbers us. But we rest on the supplies of the Holy Spirit. Your church will march on. And the gate of hell will not prevail. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen.